I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Chris Brady. His book is, that we're going to be talking about today, amongst other things, is Bitcoin Bride. The Bitcoin Bride, a rascal money story. Marcus Coleman may not know anything about winning over his potential father-in-law, but he does know Bitcoin. Before the end of his trip to Italy, Marcus must clearly explain the greatest breakthrough in the history of money. If he fails, the expensive engagement ring tucked away in his suitcase uh, will never be worn, and success may prove more difficult than he assumed. As Marcus gets to know the enchanting Italian countryside culture and cuisine, he'll have to balance Bitcoin explanations with romance. In this whimsical book, Number one New York Times bestselling author Chris Brady shows that fun and finances can go together like marinara and mozzarella. He uh, He's a speaker, a humorist, and a businessman, and is also CEO and creative director of Life Leadership. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Chris. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I did read the book. And I have to say, even though I read the book, and then I'm going to tell you the real truth, and I also went to Investopedia, because I still, I, I mean, you sort of gave me a jumping off point for trying to understand Bitcoin. I can't quite grasp it. And I'm, of my colleagues and my friends, and I'm talking about smart people, educated people, well-engaged people, they don't seem to get it. Like, And when I try to explain it, and I say, well, read you know, read your book, uh, Bitcoin Bride. That's very helpful. Um, maybe that's a jumping off point. But what should we start with? What is Bitcoin? Yeah, maybe maybe we start with why Bitcoin first. And I agree. Uh, and that's why I wrote the book, because um, Bitcoin is hard to grasp at first because it's a combination of computer science and economics and geopolitics and a bunch of topics that can be hard to understand, much less put together. Um, but then that's why I wrote the book, The Rock Group Kiss. I heard them interviewed one time, and they said they simply became the band that they could never seem to find to watch in concert. And that's why I wrote the Bitcoin Bride book, because I would get questions like, like we're going to go through here today, uh, and I would have uh, you know a meeting or a lunch with someone, and they would start asking about Bitcoin. I would try to explain it, and they needed some follow-up material, like you say, a jumping-off point. And that's what the book is supposed to do. And it begins with, why Bitcoin? What, what would be the reasons that someone would invent something like Bitcoin? And what does it even do? And so Bitcoin was invented uh, right on the heels of the 2008 financial crisis. And that's a clue as to why it was invented. And buried in the program is some explanations from the anonymous inventor of Bitcoin, uh, that that was exactly what motivated this person. Uh, the, the pseudonym is Satoshi Nakamoto. Nobody knows for sure who it is. If it was a man, a woman, a group of people, we don't know. Uh, but it was clearly motivated by the financial crisis. And, and this group of computer scientists had had enough, uh, enough tampering with the money supply, enough inflation, enough theft from honest people's savings, that they wanted to create money that was separate and apart from government. And so Bitcoin is the invention of non-government money, and that's, that's what they produced. And they did it through some pretty complicated, very clever computer programming. So non-government money means decentralized money. Is that what we're saying? It's decentralized. Right now we... That's right. Okay. 
because that word keeps coming up. This is decentralized. I keep going back to that. that, Yeah, that's how they did it. So 2,500 years ago is where the story really begins in a kingdom called Lydia in modern-day Western Turkey. And that was the first time that government got involved in money. The king, Croesus of Lydia, started coining gold into coins. It was the invention of coinage, which was quite an invention, but it was also the beginning of governments being involved in money. Until that point, human civilizations were able to trade and use precious things like gold and seashells and other things as money. Uh, But then in about the 550s BC, government got involved in the money. It wasn't long before the Romans picked up on the idea and then the Greeks and on down to our time. Uh, And whenever you have a government controlling the money, it's centralized. And the problem with it being centralized is it's control. And they can control the supply, tamper with the supply, and debase it. Basically, take away some of the value of it. That's what inflation does, and that's what Bitcoin came to solve. How do they do that? How does government debase the money, as you're describing it? We had control, people did, but, you know, far back as before 500 B.C., and then government took control. So how do they control that money, and how does Bitcoin mitigate that, change that? Yes, great question. Uh, So going way back even to the early Romans, when they would issue coins, they they would bring in the coins and say, we have to issue new coins, and they would melt down the old coins and issue new coins with less precious metal in the content. And so they would dilute the value of the coins, but still the the worth of the coin supposedly would buy the same amount of stuff. Well, that's inflation. That was early inflation. Um, And now there was a complicated process between the end of World War I and 1971 in which the United States dollar went off of gold. So it used to be tied to gold and controlled in its amount a little bit because it was tied to gold. Uh, But in 1971, it totally severed the linkage to gold. And now there was no control on how many U.S. dollars could be issued. And all the other world's currencies were then tied to the dollar. So now they all uh, fluctuate together. There's not a currency in the world that's tied to or backed by anything. They're all just fiat. They exist by government dictate. And so there's nothing to stop the government's and their central banks, which do the work for them, to print more and more dollars. As they print more and more dollars, there's only two ways that government can pay for its spending. They can tax the people, and they can borrow to cover their debts. Well, when they borrow, there's a complicated process that takes place with them issuing bonds and some other things. But effectively, they're printing money. They're expanding the money supply. And when they do that, there's more money in circulation fighting for the same amount of goods and services which eventually drives prices up. That's called inflation. And inflation is a regressive, very unfair tax. It hurts the poor and lower middle class much more than it does the rich. Uh, And it's very unfair, and it's rampant. And it it depletes the value of your savings because your dollar today buys less than it did a few days ago when you earned it. So Bitcoin comes along. Before you get to Bitcoin, I want to interrupt you because I have a question before you go on to that, to Bitcoin. Sure, But So if that's the case, how does it hurt the middle class and the poor more than it does the rich? 
because the rich have assets. They have properties and lake houses and beachfront properties. They have stocks and they have um, investment portfolios. And when, when the government increased the money supply and caused inflation, a lot of that price increase goes into the markets. And so we've seen the stock market uh, racing higher. We've seen property values racing higher. The lower middle class and the poor don't have assets. So the only thing they see going up are the products that they have to buy to live on a day-to-day basis. And the money they spend to live is a much higher percentage of, of their total, quote, net worth, unquote, than it is for the upper middle class and the wealthy. All right. Got it. All right. Bitcoin comes into the picture now, right? Yeah. So now picture Bitcoin riding over the hill as this oddball digital currency that some computer geeks invented 13 years ago. And you think, well, how, how does that fix it? Well, because it's decentralized. So first of all, so there's nobody in control of it. It's just, it's like a virus. This is something probably we can. Virus is not a great right. word to use right now, but go ahead. It's not a great word. Um, <laughs> you, you know, once a virus escapes wherever it came from, <laughs> you can't put it back. And that's kind of how uh, get a computer that. program is. What's that? I said, we get that. Yeah. Yeah, sadly. Um, And that's how a computer program is. The Bitcoin doesn't have a central server. It doesn't have a company or a person or a government that's in control of it. It just runs on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people's computers who volunteer to run the simple little software program. And it communicates with all the other ones that are out there doing that through the Internet. Uh, So it's completely decentralized. And the genius of the invention of Bitcoin was that through the program and through some of the things that I explained a little bit in my book, they managed to not need a central authority to allow people to deal with each other using Bitcoin in what they call a trustless. Uh, You don't have to trust anybody on the other side. The computer program accomplishes that. And so you don't need a government in there. And, And But the beauty of Bitcoin is that its supply is fixed. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. Unlike the U.S. dollar, where they're expanding it by billion, hundreds of billions, if not trillions per year. 40% of the U.S. dollars in circulation have been printed in the past two years. Of all the ones ever produced, 40% of them came into circulation in the past two years. That's rampant inflation. Bitcoin, that can never happen to it. The supply is fixed. And so as adoption grows and more and more people grab onto it, the price goes up because there, are, there is no more. But it's difficult for people to sort of get their hands around. There's this digital currency just, what you know, and not being able to realize that it's not attached to anything. It's just out there on people's computers. It's like what, who, and that no one, per, no one government controls it. What are, uh, who, who monitors it? Who yeah, that's my uh, question. The, pro- the program itself does. The Bitcoin Core program that runs on all these computers has all the controlling points, and it's open source. Anybody can see all the lines of code, and so there's nothing hidden. Um, and what, what Bitcoiners like to say is it's a monetary system governed by rules, not by rulers. So if you look at the rules in the Bitcoin program, the fact that there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins, Almost 19 million of those have been issued, and the way that they're issued is controlled, and it'll stretch out until a year way out in the future. Those are all 
pre-written in the in the code and can't be changed. So it's very different than the U.S. dollar or the euro or the yuan or any currency you want to name around the world that can be printed uh, at the whim of their central banks. Chris, what? Let's start with. I want to set up a Bitcoin. Um, uh, what would you call it? A Bitcoin. Uh, I want to start using bitcoins instead of using dollars. What do I do? How would I do? Yeah. It? So, yeah. So you can you set up an account with something called an exchange. It's a lot like a brokerage account. Like if you were set up something with Fidelity or something, it's a lot like that. And there's crypto exchanges all over the world. You set up an account with them, and you uh, send some money from your bank to that account. And then um, once that money is cleared and it's sitting there in your account, then you can buy some Bitcoin with it. And you can buy a little tiny sliver of a Bitcoin. I often recommend people do that. Just buy a little bit so you can get the experience and see how it works and start to gain comfort with it. It's the best way to learn. What are some of the disadvantages? I mean, I'm thinking about this as digital money, for instance. Uh, you know, people hack your computers, you're talking, you know, um, and people can, well, just hacking your computer or the computers can um, crash. I mean, are those any of the things that can happen when you have your money in digital currency? Well, the only thing that can happen, Bitcoin's unique because you get... Um, an access code to the system that allows you to claim the Bitcoins that you've purchased. And no one else knows that access code, only you. So uh, you have to be very careful not to lose that access code. And there's famous stories of people who um, forgot their access code or didn't tell their spouse about it and then died. And there's nothing anybody can do. There's no customer service line. There's (laughs) there's nobody you can call. They're gone. So they call it self-custody. Um, when you ha- when you leave your Bitcoin with the exchange, like where I say you send some money to an account, you can leave it there, um, but but it's not as safe as if you took self custody and kept your kept your keys yourself. They call it. But that's kind of scary. Let, 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 yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's some interesting stories about people who had the the access codes to a lot of Bitcoin on their computer way back when Bitcoin wasn't worth much, and then they realized they owned a bunch of it. Now they they're digging through landfills trying to find their old computer because they've got $200 million worth of Bitcoin on there. Just funny stories like that. So that's, that's the disadvantage is you have, to, you have to get smart about how to custody it. It's as if you're owning a piece of gold. How would you safely store the gold? You want to store your access codes the same way. But there, there's another confusion point on Bitcoin that we should talk about. Um, even though it is usable as money, lots and lots of stores and merchants accept it and it can be sent easily around the world. There's three things that money does. Number one, it's a store of value. Number two, it's the medium of exchange. And number three, it's a unit of account. Things are priced in it. Bitcoin can be all three of those. It's obviously not the third one. You don't hear of a car being sold for X number of Bitcoin. The second one, it can do that. You can, you can go to stores and spend Bitcoin. There are companies that will operate as an app on your phone and they'll convert it to dollars right at the point of purchase. But really Bitcoin right now is the first one. It's a savings technology. It's a great store of value because nobody can tamper with the supply. And so when people lots of times they'll ask me like, well, where can I spend Bitcoin? How do I use it as money? 
I always say, you know, it, it's such a great savings technology that I don't know that I would recommend that you spend it. I would convert some U.S. dollars into Bitcoin and save it where it can't be inflated. And then you can convert it back to dollars later when you want to spend it, when it's gone up in value. So are we talking about investing? Can we invest it in the same way you mentioned Fidelity in the beginning? Can you invest it like you do in a brokerage account? Yes, there are uh, some of these uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, well, first of all, Bitcoin itself is an investment, and people need to be educated on it, make their own decisions, and treat it like an investment, understand that there's risk and volatility and all that. But there are also some of these exchanges that will pay interest on Bitcoin. So if you have your Bitcoin deposited with them, they'll pay you interest uh, for holding it because they're loaning it out on the other side like like banks um, used to do well, when they actually had deposits on demand. Um, and so that's nice, too. So you, while you're holding on to your Bitcoin as a savings technology and watching it go up in value over the years, uh, you can also earn some interest on it. Now, what about, there are some words that keep popping up that, that, that I want you to explain. For instance, somebody asked me, what's a miner when it comes to Bitcoin? What does that mean? A miner is one type of uh, computer program that you run within the Bitcoin program, and it does the work of gathering up all the transactions that it sees out on the network and putting them together in a block, and then it plays a mathematical game with the computer program, and it's racing all the other miners that are out there doing the same thing. These are just computer programs running automatically, full speed. And they're racing each other to gather up transactions and run them through a program and win this race. And then when they win that race, they get to write the next block of transactions onto the chain of blocks that have gone before it. You've probably heard the term blockchain. Yeah, well, explain to us what a blockchain, yeah, what is it? Yeah, blockchain is a chain of blocks, and in each one of those blocks is a list of transactions. Now, what's a transaction? Well, that's if I sent you half a Bitcoin, for instance. We would do it across the Bitcoin network, and that would be one of the transactions that would get written into a block. So miners gather up the transactions. They look at them to verify that they're following the rules, that I really have a half a Bitcoin to send to you, for instance. And then they, they present this list of transactions as a new block, the potential next block. And then they have to run it through a, uh, uh, an algorithm and if that algorithm produces the right number, it's a little bit of a lottery at that point. All these miners are racing each other. Then that block of transactions gets written onto the chain of all the transactions that have gone before, all the way back to the original one. And for doing that, they get uh, the computer program will give that miner some Bitcoin, some brand newly minted Bitcoin, according to a set schedule. So that's what a miner is, and that's what a blockchain is. Do you think that people have to be computer savvy to understand this, that maybe it's going to be sort of the next generation who's going to be able to, to get this? And, and, and how is it going to work going forward? Are you going to be able to get, let's say, people 60 and over to be able to sort of wrap their minds around this, to be able to utilize Bitcoin? Well, that's why I wrote the book. Exactly <laughs> that, because that's most the- of my friends, <laughs> I'm 54 <laughs> Most yeah. of my friends are my age or older, and I find myself explaining this stuff all the time, and I wanted to do it in a fun, easy way. But here's, Catherine, here's where I think it goes. When, uh, when a car was first invented, 
people were wary of it because they were noisy. They had explosions going on inside the combustion chamber. Uh, they were they were weird to look at. They made you know they made an exhaust, and everybody was kind of curious about them and didn't understand them. And they thought, man, do I have to be a mechanic in order to have a car? But as as the product improved and people got used to it, and they saw the utility of a car and what it did, then they either could trust it and get interested and learn all the mechanics or just say, no, I don't need to learn all the mechanics. All I got to do is turn this key, press that accelerator, and it takes me across town. I think Bitcoin will become the same thing. I don't think we need to talk too much about the details of how the computer program works and get lost in blockchain and miners and all that. I think the big thing we need to understand is that it's the scarcest thing mankind has ever had access to outside of our human time. It's the only thing you can put your money in that the supply does not respond to the demand at all. The supply is fixed computer program that won't change. And that's the only thing we have access to that's like that. The government can issue more bonds. Apple can issue more shares of stock. The U.S. government can print more dollars. Gold miners can dig up more gold from the earth. But there can't be more Bitcoin. It's a little like oceanfront property Miami. They, they're not making more of it, although they make taller buildings along there, which is kind of the same thing. But Bitcoin, they can't make a taller building. So it's the scarcest thing that we've ever seen. And that's why it's such a great savings technology and really a wealth building technology, because whenever you have something scarce and more people want it, the price goes up and it's gone up a lot. But it goes up and down now, isn't it down? Does it, It's quite volatile. Yes. Yeah, it's very volatile, uh, which is which is how it has to be when it's this new. Uh, 13 years is old enough to know that it's going to work, it's going to last, it's going to be around, but it's still new in terms of an asset class. Um, and most Bitcoiners are not selling their Bitcoin. So when you go to buy Bitcoin, um, it's a thinly traded market because most of us are just holding our Bitcoin for the long term. So that means it's going to fluctuate in price a lot in the short term. But listen to this one, Catherine. There's never been a four-year period in which Bitcoin is down. You can take a four-year caliper and stretch across and look at all the numbers. There's not a four-year period where Bitcoin is down. So if you have a long enough view of it, four years or more, so far at least in 13 years, it's appreciated very, very rapidly. Well, this was a great conversation. We only have a couple minutes left. And, uh, you know, to be able to maybe understand it, as you say, you wrote this book for your friends who are 50 or older, but you can still read the book if you're younger. But it is The Bitcoin Bride, A Rascal Money Story. It sort of explains what we've been talking about. And I think you just have to keep repeating it over and over or reading your book over and over, right? It's a philosophy. That's what I hear you saying. Don't get bogged down in all the terminology. Just think about the whole, the big picture. Am I right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Think of it this way. You work hard, you do what you do uh, in the world to earn money, and you want to preserve the fruit of your labor in a way that nobody can come and steal the fruit, tamper with it, or that it won't rot. And Bitcoin is the best technology we've ever seen to do just that. Okay. On that note, what website can we go to to get more information about about Bitcoin, about what we've been talking about and about your book? Yeah, well, my website is chrisbrady.com. That'll start you on a whole bunch of different things you can see about my book uh, and everything else. And then there's a fantastic website that you can go to called casebitcoin.com, C-A-S-E, bitcoin.com. 
and it has just reams and reams of charts and graphs and information and history and critiques and great information for people to explore there. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, you're a good Thanks, storyteller. Kevin. Yeah, and you explain it well. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 